Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> right. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. We stand to give reverence and to give honor to the eternal, infallible, inerrant. It is the perfect, preserved word of the living God that we give honor to. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, and those first few words of verse number 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let me pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again and again. I want to say hallelujah, praise your name. Thank you, and Lord, uh, it's just, it's hard for, I don't know, maybe I just don't have vocabulary enough to tell you thank you and that I appreciate you loving me, and thank you for saving me. And Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and praise, and I, um, it's just my heart's desire to bring you glory, and I pray that all of our desire tonight would be to do that and Lord you'd be honored by that and so Lord I uh, pray for each heart tonight that our hearts are uh, willing and open uh, our hearts are not hard our hearts are ready for whatever you might speak to us about and Jesus if someone's not yet saved you already know that please please Convince them of their need, and I pray that they would be forgiven before it's everlasting too late, and they might know that they're forgiven. So, Lord, thank you for what we've already enjoyed tonight, and thank you in advance for what you're about to do. So we ask you again, please, glorify yourself tonight. And we'll thank you, and it's in the precious and holy name of your only begotten Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this morning, uh, I was trying to get across to you, the, the text here is uh, a metaphor, and the metaphor is we have this stadium-like thing, and uh, this arena, coliseum perhaps, and there is an activity going on, and it's an athletic event, it's a race. The race is a metaphor for Christian life, for Christianity. Just pretend like you agree with that. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. All right. So in this metaphor of the race, I, this morning I wanted to figure out who us was. And us, of course, is the writer of Hebrews. That's the people who received the book of Hebrews that have been partakers of the heavenly calling. And then it's also must include those even today that have received Christ as their Savior and that have partook of the heavenly calling. Makes good sense. And then it also includes those have, who've received, who've received Christ as their Savior, but they're like dull. They haven't made the progress they should have made. 
And then I said by application, it also includes those that are outside the stadium. They're invited. Come on, join the team. Get the jersey, get the number. You can be saved too. You can be one of us. Amen? Amen. Tonight I'm going to go on another part of the metaphor. He says, let us run. Some people are a long, long ways from a run. (laughs) Yeah. Let us run the race. I think it's kind of um, intriguing anyway that sometimes when the scripture gives the metaphor of Christianity, this scripture said let us run the race. There's another passage that says that we're supposed to walk. There's another passage that says we're supposed to stand. There's another passage that says we're supposed to sit. And in your brain you're going, well, which one do they want me to do? Well, that's the thing about the metaphor. The metaphor, it is describing Christianity, but it's describing this area of Christianity that in this metaphor you're supposed to be running the race. Another of the metaphors is that you're supposed to stand and be unmovable. Stay there. Don't be uh, a pushover. Is everybody with me? So in this metaphor, we're supposed to run. And so I, I reckon that's what we need to be getting in our head. We need to take off and run. I think it's a kind of amazing thing that when we talk about a run... It's not a walk. I, uh, I am a runner. I've been running as a, kind of an exercise thing since I was in my early 20s. Now, I ran in my school years as a ball player. I played uh, all the sports in elementary school and junior high, and then in high school I just played uh, baseball and Whenever the coach said, you got to go run, well, I'd go run. I never went home on the weekend and thought, hey, I think I need to go run. Oh, no, I ran enough. The coach had me doing that. I didn't (laughs) need to do that. But as I got out of college and so on, and I felt like uh, there was a good health reason to run and didn't cost any money except tennis shoes, and so anyway, I became a runner. I didn't ever run far, never did, but... Anyway, uh, I'm a runner. I have occasionally have a bad back that goes out, and uh, I often would visit chiropractors just about every state that I've ever been in. I've been to one of those chiropractors, and uh, I went to a chiropractor one time, and I told him that I was uh, that I was a jogger. I said I jog regularly. He goes, "You're a jogger?" I said, "Yeah, I do it regularly." He said, "So you're just messing around?" said, no, I'm serious about it. He goes, well, how long, how fast do you run? How, what do you do? And so I told him about how long it takes me to run a mile. He said, please don't tell people you're a jogger. <laughs> I said, joggers are like, they're just messing around. You're a runner. And so from then on, I've never been a jogger since. I'm a runner. <laughs> I do it. And so many people in their Christianity they're kind of messing around. They're kind of loafing, maybe jogging 
he says we're supposed to run. So if you're going to talk about a run, I suppose that would be more effort. I think you could call it more intense than jogging. Amen? All right. Now, let's do this. He said, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us run with patience the race. I think it's, uh, I'm a Bible student also, and when I come across words, I I know what race is, a race is, you line up, take off. However, I do do word studies and try to figure it out. You know what that word race is in uh, the Greek word for race that's given here? It's a unique word. It's the word, listen to this word. It's agona. I wonder if that sounds like any other word you've ever heard. The agona. Really sounds like agony, doesn't it? The Christian life, watch. He said, let us run the agony. Mercy. Now, I'm not trying to change the Bible or anything. The word agona, when he translated it, when God had him translated it, it's the word race, because that's the, the picture, that's the metaphor going on. But for when you look up, you know, uh, more definition and so on, you find out that it's agona. I got to thinking in my head, I wonder how many, could you imagine, could you imagine seeing the bumper sticker on the back of the car that says, want real agony? Try Jesus. (laughs) Or, join the agony, become a Christian. How many people would sign up for that? When the reality that Christianity is an agony and people find that out, they go, oh, that's not, I'm not, that, I didn't join that. I don't want to be part of that. But excuse me, I'm not the one that wrote the Holy Bible. Christianity is called an agony. The race is an agona. So when we're talking about the race, watch this. The race is not a 100-yard dash. If it were a 100-yard dash, it'd be hard to call it an agony because it'd be over, you know, for some of us, it'd be over like in 9 or 11 seconds. Some of us, 45 seconds, (laughs) maybe a minute, but at least we got it over with. No, uh, Christianity is not a sprint. It's not a hundred-yard dash. But however, there are many hundred-yard dash Christians. There are many people that received Christ as their Savior. They understood they needed a Savior, and they trusted Christ to be their Savior. And then they get into the race, and they do really good. And they do real good. Maybe a month. Sometimes a couple months. And then they go, I'm done. This is harder than I thought. This is not what I signed up for. Is everybody hearing me? And here, here's another way to say it. They get sidelined. Hmm. Then, hallelujah, some friend comes along and talks to them, confronts them and says, hey, what are you doing? You, 
I thought, I thought you trusted Christ. You, you need to get back in the you need to get back in the Christianity. You need to get back in this thing. Get that going. And a good friend talks to them, and God uses that friend, and they get back in. That's a hallelujah. It might be that someone twisted their arm and got them to come to like a like a like a revival, and God got a hold of their heart, and they're going, "Whoa, I'm getting back in." Could be, hallelujah, a good godly Christian song that they heard and God used that, heart to, that song to boom, grab their heart and they're going, what's wrong with me? I need to get back in the race. Amen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I am not against anything at all that causes somebody that's a hundred yard dash Christian to get back in the race. I'm for it. Amen. I'm for it. The truth is, every one of us needs something every once in a while to not just to get back in. But there are many people, watch, they get back in the race and they make it again for a few months. They make it again for just a short time and then they're out again. And then, hallelujah, something happens and they get back in. Amen. Is everybody hearing what I'm talking about? But see, Christianity is not a sprint. It's not a hundred yard dash. Actually, if you're going to uh, compare it to something, you would say it's like a marathon. It's uh, the long haul. It keeps going and going. Now watch, watch. When you become a Christian and you get the jersey, you get the number, the truth is you, your Christianity is that you have made a decision, you've made a commitment for the long haul. No, 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 no. When you trusted Christ as your Savior and you received Christ, you get the jersey. Excuse me, you didn't ask for it. You automatically get it. It's part of Christianity. You get the jersey. You got the number. You're in the race. You don't get the choice here. But when you receive Christ to be your Savior, the idea is not, well, I'm going to try this for a week or two or a few months and see how it works. Well, you never did receive Christ if that's your mentality. No, no, no. When you receive Christ, you said, hey, I've received Christ to be my Savior. Hallelujah. He's forgiven me. I'm in this for the duration. I'm a Christian. Is everybody hearing me? Because if you are yielding to the Lord and you're going to make Him Lord of your life and you're surrendering to Him to be your Savior and you really believe Him to be the Savior, your heart and attitude is, you're the Savior. You can have my life. If you're going, you're the Savior, but don't mess around with me, okay? You never did really yield to Jesus Christ. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. I don't have time to do that one tonight. But I'm telling you, when you receive Christ, the commitment, the decision is for the long haul. We're in it for the duration. It's a marathon. So watch, when you get in this marathon... Let us run with patience the race. Can someone give me that Greek word again for race? What is it? Agona, or we can say agony, but agona is right. You know what that means? When you receive Christ and you're now in the race, you're in it for the long haul, you've made the commitment, you made the decision for the long haul, you know what it guarantees? It guarantees discomfort. What do you mean? It's called the agony. Did anybody just hear that? Christianity is described and related to 
the agony. That's why the scripture says, let us run with patience. The agona. That word patience, since you brought it up, let me ask you, do you, do you know anybody who's not patient? One of the attributes of being patient, we think of someone being long-suffering. Another thought about patience, you could use the word endurance. They're enduring. In fact, if you look at your Holy Bible, I'll show you something right here. In verse number uh, 1, he says, let us run with patience. That very word patience is the same word used in verse 2 that says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who were the joy set before him, endured. That word endured is the very same word in verse 1 that's called patience. That's amazing. Verse number 3, it says, consider him that endured the contra- such contradiction. That same word is patience. And in verse number 7, it says, if you endure chastening, that's the very same word. Watch. Patience and endurance are like synonyms. Synonym. 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 Synonym? You know what I mean? Endurance and patience have the same kind of thinking that you're supposed to hang in there. To run with patience. Mr. Noah Webster in his dictionary, when you look what he defines patience as, listen to this. He said, the primary sense is continuance. You're patient. You're holding out. Holding on. That's what Mr. Webster says. But he's not done. Listen to this definition. The suffering of afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocations. I say I just lost some of you. Patience is continuance, endurance. When you suffer pain, toil, calamity, provocations, patience is that you endure those things with a calm, unruffled temper. Excuse me? I'm supposed to go through toil and calamity calm? Uh, That's what the word patience signifies. Did you just hear it? Unruffled temper. (laughs) I don't know. Do you ever get provoked? Do people aggravate you? Isn't it? They provoke us on purpose, don't they? They're trying to get us mad. Remember in L.A. when they had the really bad traffic and they started having uh, road rage? Now, I know here in Seattle area, if you get out there, you got bad traffic. I asked my friend when that road rage thing was going on back in the early uh, 2000s or the ni- actually it's in the 90s, I said to him, I said, hey, uh, I said, do you ever get that road rage? Road rage? He said, I have driveway rage. <laughs> <laughs> when you're out there and there are people out there that they are not courteous. And they provoke you, 
The word patience, according to Mr. Webster, is that we, when we are provoked like that, we have a calm, unruffled temper. When calamity comes, we don't go all nuts, oh, we have a calm, unruffled temper. He's not done with the definition. You know what he says next? He said, with this thing of patience, this calm, unruffled temper, he says, without complaining and without murmuring. Now we can't tell people about it. We can't say, hey, hey, what are you doing? Like, did you know what? Let me tell you what happened to me. I just went through this and this attack. I can't believe what. It... No, no. He says, without murmur, without complaint. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm given too much information. The Christian life is like an endurance race, it's a marathon. And in the marathon, there will be guaranteed calamity. There will be toil, there will be pain, there will be discomfort. And when those things come, I'm supposed to realize, according to the the writer here, he says, hey, when you run this agona, you need to have patience. You need to be able to run it with a calm, unruffled temper, without murmuring, without complaining. Since you brought it up, I just wondered, do you know anybody who complains a little bit? Murmurs just a little. Do you know anybody who's really a little bit unruffled? Is anybody getting it? In the the scripture, he says, I want you to run the race calm, unruffled, without murmuring, without complaint. If we're going to run like this, it demands, listen carefully, it demands discipline. One of the commentators I read after said these words. It demands discipline, rigid care, self-sacrifice, self-denial. Mercy, hey, 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 in the race, when tragedy comes, when calamity comes, when pain comes, when provocation comes, I do this and sometimes I have to have self-sacrifice. That's not the kind of Christianity I want to be in. I don't want to have self-denial. Come on. Anybody hear this? Listen to what, uh, oh, I forgot his name, uh, Andrew Murray said. He said, listen, this is, we have intense exertion. Claiming body and soul. Uh, you you got to go with me on this. In Christianity, the agona, the race, is a marathon. And there will be intense exertion claiming body and soul. Demanding self-discipline, self-denial, and self-sacrifice. When I read those words by Andrew Murray concerning this text... Do you know what went through Dave McCracken's brain? Do I have anything in my life, in my Christian life, that's exertion, 
claiming body and soul? Our Christianity is so shallow. Our Christianity, we don't have anything that's like claiming body and soul. We, you know, had to get up from the nap. We had to miss part of the ball game. You know, we didn't get to go to the mall or we didn't get to mow the yard. We had to go to church. That's claiming body and soul. What kind of babies are we? When Andrew Murray said, hey, McCracken, if you're going to run this race and you're going to be in this agona, he said, it's going to take rigid care that demands body and soul. And I'm thinking, I'm good. I can't think of anything that's claiming body and soul in my Christianity. I'm serious. Is your prayer life so intense it claims body and soul, or you just do like me, just do the morning prayer, the night prayer, and pray for food? It's over. No, no. Is your Bible reading and Bible study, does that claim exertion, discipline, or you just read it and you're done? Okay, I'm ready to go on the next thing. Or some of you don't even read it. It's claiming body and soul that you pass out a few tracts on Saturday morning, you knock on a couple of doors and ask people to come, you go, uh, I had intense exertion. <laughs> Boy, Christianity is. I'm just asking you. I don't know if you're getting this or not, but our flesh controls us so much that if we tell our flesh no and we have self-discipline, self-denial, you go, hey, that's not the kind of Christianity I want. If you're going to ask me to give up stuff and live a certain way and do certain things, you can just forget it. Jesus is not, he doesn't expect me to do that. Excuse me? Does he expect you to have any intense exertion or not? I'm just sick of our flimsy, shallow Christianity that it's all about what makes me happy, what makes me comfortable, what do I like, and what's good for me. Jesus, you can buzz off. I love you and everything, but don't demand anything. Is anybody hearing me? I'm talking about where you and I live, friend. Well, Brother Day, if you're talking about a Christianity like that, that could... That could be like tough. Uh, it's like an agony. Is anybody hearing anything I'm talking about? Mercy. If you want a Christianity that's a life of passive luxury, and you're happy, and it's okay. You don't want any boundaries or parameters. You just want cotton candy and chocolate cake. I don't think you want the Christianity Hebrews 12 is talking about. This is intense exertion. It's a marathon. It's an agony. Now for me, and I, I'm sorry this is the only way I know how to do it is I live among us. And for us to think about athletes that have intense exertion, for us, really and truly, it would be the Olympians 
These people that give heart, life to the Olympics. And their whole goal is one day just to make the Olympic team. And then, of course, if they could win the gold. Mercy. This past summer, we had the Summer Olympics. There's a fellow that came out of uh, retirement to swim again. It's hard to believe he, this past summer, he was in his fifth Olympics. Five. Do you know how often they have Olympics? Every four years. So he did his first Olympics, then he had to wait four years, and he did his second Olympics. He had to wait four more years. His third Olympics was eight, they were eight years. His fourth Olympics is 12 years. His fifth Olympics from the first one to this one is 16 years. He came out of retirement, Michael Phelps. And this past summer, he did it again. He won some more gold. Amen? Yeah. He's been in five Olympics. He has 23 gold medals. Three silver, two bronze. I don't know. No, 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 no. Michael Phelps, to do 16 years of Olympics-type swimming, I wonder if he had any intense exertion. Do you know, listen to this carefully. Mr. Michael Phelps, since he began Olympic training, has been swimming 50, 5 zero, 50 miles a week. That's like forever. 50 miles. You say, well, he did it in a week. Oh, 10 miles a day then. For five days a week. Do you know how far 10 miles is? Just take off walking and see how long that takes. <laughs> it's forever. 10. Oh, why did he do that? Because he joined the team and he wanted to be in the Olympics and hoped to win a gold. That's incredible. This past year, Katie Ledecky thrilled our heart with four goals in swimming. But a little bitty, teeny, weeny, little cutie pie, 19 years old, captured the heart of America, Simone Biles. That little gymnast flipped and flopped and twisted and turned and rolled and popped up ah, so much. Mercy's sake, she won four gold medals in gymnastics and she was only 19. Do you know when she started training? When she was six. When she was six years old, she started flipping and flopping. And bouncing and turning. Mercy. That little bitty cutie bounced around so much and thrilled our hearts. We're going, yes, way to go. We're glad you're American. Yes. 
You know how long these gymnasts flip and flop and practice? 40 hours a week. 40. And I can hear some of you going, hey, that'd be fun. 40 hours a week, flip and flop and dance around, bounce, boo, yippee, bye. That'd be great, 40 hours. No, after about 40 minutes, you go, hey, uh, can we do something else now? I want to go to the mall. <laughs> 40 hours a week. I'm thinking that might be some intense exertion. And see, for our brains, for our heads to start thinking about intense exertion, we have to picture somebody like Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, Simone Biles. We have to picture someone like them to think about how much energy and effort it took just to try to get to where they got to. Other people practiced that much too, and they didn't even make the Olympics. Mercy. I, uh, I told you I'm a runner. I always wanted to run a marathon. Now, a marathon is like 26.2 miles. It's forever. I always thought it'd be cool to run a marathon, and I just knew I never could. I would meet people that ran a marathon, and I would hug them. They were a stranger and go, you're awesome, man. That is so good. I wish I could run a marathon. That is. I'm talking since I was in my 20s. I thought about running a marathon, and I meet someone that did it, and I thought, that, you're, that's like climbing Mount Everest. That's, most of us will never get a chance to climb Mount Everest, and so we're thinking, well, I know I'm not going to run a marathon. But in your head, you're thinking, I'd like to do that. That's, that's like forever. When people ran a half marathon, 13.1, I'd hug them and say, congratulations, that is incredible that you had that kind of stamina, that kind of desire, that kind of goal. I'd like to run a marathon, but I have a bad back. Sometimes my knee hurts. Sometimes my hip hurts. I won't be able to run a marathon. I was 56 years old. I was sitting at a table with 11 people, me and Nancy, and then there was nine other people. We were sitting at a table in Ohio, and six of those people had run a marathon. And they're talking about the marathon and how they ran. One of them was an old, old lady. She was an old woman. Two of the girls had a couple children. They're in their 30s. They're running marathons. They're talking about running. I said, well, I wish I could run a marathon. Brother Dave, you can do it. I said, no, I can't. I'm old. I'm 56. I can't do that. No, no, you can do it. If you get this book and do what it says, you can do a marathon. I said, I can't do it. I got a bad back. I got a bad knee. No, you can do it. Get the book. And they got me all riled up and stirred up. And so I went home that night on Amazon. I bought the book, put it on my Kindle, and I read half the book Saturday night. Sunday afternoon, I read the other half. You know what they said in that book? If you can run 30 minutes right now, today, if you can run 30 minutes without stopping, you can run a marathon in 14 weeks. All you got to do, if you can run 30 minutes right now, you can be ready for a marathon in 14 weeks. It was Monday morning, I told Nancy, I'm going out running. I took off running, and I'm telling you, I took off running, and I ran almost, without stopping, I ran almost five minutes. <laughs> I'm not ready. But in my heart and soul, I wanted to. 
It took me over three weeks, but in three weeks I could run 30 minutes without stopping. And I started doing the chart that they laid out for you. I made the commitment that I'm going to run this marathon. Now, the, the, there's a couple things about running a marathon. Number one, you've got to make the commitment. And then you've got to hope that you don't have any injuries. Because if you get injured, there's nothing you can do about it. I began to run the first week. This is what I did on the very first week of the marathon training. I, now, I have to tell you this. I didn't have 14 weeks because the marathon that I chose, it was 12 weeks away. And it took me that long to run 30 minutes. The first Monday, I ran three miles. On Tuesday, I ran four miles. On Wednesday, I ran three miles. Then I rested on Thursday. And either Friday or Saturday, I ran five miles for the second time in my life. I'd never run five miles before. Week number two, on Monday, I ran three. On Tuesday, I ran four. On Wednesday, I ran three. On Friday, I ran six miles. It's the first time in my life I ever ran six miles. I wanted to call everybody on my phone and say, guess what I just did? Yep, I just ran six miles. It was like good. It was incredible. I remember I was in Indianapolis, Indiana. I ran six miles. I was so proud of myself. Week number five, I ran three on Monday, five on Tuesday, three on Wednesday, and then on Saturday, on Friday or Saturday, I ran ten miles. Week number nine, I ran four on Monday, seven on Tuesday, four on Wednesday, and then on, week, on, thir- on Friday or Saturday, I ran six miles. I know where I was. No, I don't. Yes, I do. I ran 16 miles. I was in Salt Lake City. It snowed the entire way. But it was my long day. I, didn't have, I couldn't say, well, I'm going to run tomorrow. Well, tomorrow was Sunday. I can't run 16 miles on Sunday. The last two weeks, 11 and 12, I did the very same thing. I ran five on Monday, Eight on Tuesday, five on Wednesday, and I ran 20 miles on Friday or Saturday. The next week was marathon day. I had some goals. Goal number one, don't die. (laughs) Try not to die. Goal number two, finish. That book spent so much time in for, for pushing your brain, pushing your brain, finish. Don't, doesn't matter how long it takes, finish. If you have to crawl, finish. Do not stop, finish. I didn't know this, but they have a rule that you have to finish in less than seven hours. You don't get the medal if you don't do it. I didn't know that. Because it's not a walk. It's a marathon. It's a run. They don't want people to walk and get the medal. In nine hours. So don't die, finish. Number three, I wanted to do it in less than five hours. Because this girl that I'd prayed for in September, she was all excited and all that. She's going to run a marathon. She has three children. She's 34 years old. She has three children. She has three babies. And she goes, I'm running a marathon. She did, it in four, she did it in four hours and 54 minutes. I said, I'm not going to let a girl beat me in this marathon. i got to do it in less than five hours. Number four, I did not want to stop and walk one step. It's not wrong to stop. Many, many people stop and they get a drink and they get some fluid in them and, and then they take off again or they keep running and they slosh the fluid while they're trying to drink it and stuff. I said, I'm not going to stop. 
When I go out and run, when I go out and run now, Nancy often says these words before I leave. Be careful. When I come back, she goes, how'd you do? If I say these words, I didn't make it. I made it. I went three miles. But what that means is I didn't run the whole way. I had to walk part of the way. Last week on uh, Thursday, it's the first time that I've been able to run. I've been, I've on, I only run two miles now. I run two miles 15 days a week. Last week on Thursday is the first time I ran two miles without walking any of the steps in over a month. I'd had some kind of illness come up on me, something bothered me, and I just could not get the energy to keep going. I had to walk a little ways. I'd only walk, I don't know, 30 seconds, and I'd take off running again, but I didn't make it. I did not want to walk one step in the marathon, and I was able to complete all four goals. You know why? Because I made the commitment. You're not hearing it. I made the decision to stay in it for the long haul. Did it, did it ever hurt? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the first time you ever run nine miles, your feet are killing you about mile six. And you're going, my feet hurt. There's no way I'll run 26 miles. My feet are killing me. I don't think I can run nine miles. My feet hurt. But after you run another mile, mile and a half, your feet stop hurting. But then your hip hurts. <laughs> Good night. There's no way on earth. I'm... And, and after a mile, it stops hurting. Then your knee hurts. Sometimes your shoulder hurts, and that isn't even, that's just doing this. <laughs> the pain moves around on your body, and you just have to ignore it and keep running. It's called intense exertion. It's called a commitment and a decision that no matter what happens, if, the, if it's snowing, you run. I ran in Tacoma for this preparation of that particular race. I ran in Tacoma. It rained the entire time, and it was chilly rain. Yucko. <laughs> I ran in Texas. It was 114 degrees. Uh, that was fun. It was hot. My tennis shoes were melting on the pavement. You know what I did? I just kept running. Is anybody hearing me? I'm not trying to get you to brag on me, but what I'm trying to get you to realize, the only way I did this marathon is I made the, the commitment to be in it for the long haul. It didn't matter how much exertion, how much in training, whatever I had to do, I'm going to stay in the race. Dun, dun, dun. I'm, I'm getting closer. Watch. I want you to picture fifth grade, fifth grade, fifth grade teacher, fifth grade. The teacher says, hey, hey, all you fifth graders, come over here, come over here, come over here. All right, line up. Get on the line. Get All the fifth graders, come on, get on the line. Get on, get on the line. I'm going to blow the whistle, and when I blow the whistle, we're going to have a race. I want you to take off. Get, get on the line. I'm going to blow the whistle. When I blow the whistle, take off and run the race. Are you ready? All the kids go except one. There's a boy standing there, and he's looking up at the teacher like this. How come you're not running? Where are we supposed to run to? She just said, run the race. She didn't tell them where they were going. Do you think that the Lord God tells us to run the race and we don't have any idea where we're going? We don't have any idea. Well, I'm just still running. How long have you been in this marathon? I don't know, about six days. I'm just running. 
No, he had, there's, a, there's a goal. There's a finish line. In Christianity, what is the finish line? Where do, what is our commitment to? What have we made the decision that we're going to stay in the marathon? We're going to make the commitment? We don't care what it claims. Intense exertion, claiming body and soul. There's times that we're going to have to say no to self. There's times we're going to have to say, I don't know why other people can't see what I'm doing, but I'm going to do this for Christ. I'm not doing this for me. It's not about me being comfortable. It's not about what I want. I want to do what Christ wants me to do. I want to be a testimony. I want to be an example. I want people to know Jesus is important to me. Make the commitment. Well, what's the finish line? Romans chapter 8. Hallelujah. (laughs) Isn't that just exciting? Don't you wish every preacher would do that? Let me tell you when it's over. Romans chapter 8. Watch this. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Excuse me, you know what, you know what the goal is? be like Jesus, to be conformed to His image. Since, you, since we're talking about it, has anybody in here, anybody want to give a testimony that you're already just like Jesus? Or are some of you still trying to get down the road? Is anybody hearing me? You know when we will be like Him? When we see Him. We shall be as He is. Amen? Amen? You know what my goal is? To get it to the finish line. I want to be like Christ. I don't know if you're getting this or not, but you know, if I made this much progress in the race, I should be more like Christ here than I was there. No, no, some of you missed it. Some people like this, they go... And they're on the sidelines. I'm pretty sure that they are not becoming more like Jesus. If I'm down here, I should be more like Jesus than I was back there. It ought to be obvious when people know me and see me that, man, you're, you're, you're not like everybody else. Are you a Christian? Anybody hearing me? And we ought to have a desire to walk like Jesus. Talk like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Give like Jesus. Be interested in other people like Jesus. Jesus, you can't find a selfish thing in his life. Excuse me? And you and I are so consumed with, well, it's what I think it should be. It's what I like. I can be a Christian. I can be a good Christian, too, and do what I want to do. 
Now, what have you done recently for Christ that claimed body and soul? Intense exertion. What commitment, what commitment have you made in your Christian life? There's guaranteed sufferings. Guaranteed. But when toil, pain, provocation, calamity comes, I want to have a calm, unruffled spirit. I'm not going to murmur and complain. I just want to keep my eyes on Christ and become like Jesus. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking that would be a hallelujah revival right there. If you could get a congregation to get in the race and say, hey, I'm, keeping, I, I'm, I'm going to the finish line. I made the commitment. I made the decision. Excuse me, I, I'm thinking that you need to make that decision. Rather than go, well, whatever, I'm just here at church. I ought to be lucky I even came. No, I'm not asking about me, what I think. What does Christ think? Are you in the race? Have you made the commitment? Have you made the decision that you're in it for the long haul? If you're not yet saved, I'm just saying you need to get saved. You need to get the jersey and the number. You need to get on the team. You need to get in the race. If you're not saved, you can be saved. You can know it. Some of you are going, Brother Dave, I'm already saved. Well, so I guess, we, are, you, are you over there sitting down the sideline? Are you dull and you're not making much progress? Are you willing to have self-sacrifice, self-denial, intense exertion? I am not looking for a Christianity that is demanding more of me. Well, then you're not looking for the Christianity that Jesus started. You want your own kind. I, I believe that we're ripe for revival. I think there's revival potential in this place where we make the commitment and decision, get on our face before God and say, God, I'm in it for the long haul. I've made up the decision, by your grace and by your help, I'm going to stay in the race to the end. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Thank you very, very much for listening.